you, Lord God, um, for just the, the privilege and the ability to be able to gather together, Lord God. I thank you for um, this fellowship. I thank you for your word. I pray that we would have ears that hear what your spirit is saying to us, Lord God, and that we would apply the truth that we know, Lord God, so that the knowledge we have would become wisdom, Lord. So, Father, I just thank you, Lord God, and um, I pray, Father, for Rob, that you would just continue to strengthen him and guide him, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would speak through him, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Debbie said you could add her.
is crashing, bring me falling to my knees. It goes on and on and on. Where is my call? My salvation is in you, in you
Father, I pray that that would be our heart's cry, God. More love and more power, more of you in our lives, oh God. Father, we thank you. No greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friend. And Jesus, that's what you've done for us. You laid your life down, God. That we might ultimately be reconciled to the Father. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that it's your will and your desire that none shall perish, God. But, Father, you are pleased to reveal yourself, Father, to your created ones, Lord, through your Son, Jesus. That, Jesus, you took upon you the wrath that we deserve. You suffered for us. And Father, we thank you that you finished that which was placed upon you. And the hope that you cried out from the cross, it is finished. Yes. And so as your people, God, may we continue to, to seek you, knowing, Father, that if we seek you with our whole heart, we will find you. We thank you for this, Father. For your loving kindness and your tender mercies. May our time together, God, be pleasing unto you, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Application. Sustained effort, hard work. It's from the root word, apply. To give one's full attention to a task to work hard. And as we've heard over these past couple of months, <laughs> the degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the Word applies is not enough. We must apply it. Application implies action, and obedient action is the final step in causing God's Word to come to life in our lives. The application of Scripture enforces and further enlightens our study, and it also serves to sharpen our discernment, helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. Ultimately, that's what we are called to be able to do in Christ, to distinguish between good and evil, so that we will not continue to put our hands towards that which is evil, but that we would give ourselves to that which is good, which is ultimately Christ. As we, as we are people of God, children of God, born again, have the Holy Spirit of God, God Himself in us, that leads us unto the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Jesus, you all, the author and the perfecter of our faith. The Word of God says that He begins this work in us and He is faithful to complete it. And as we come to the knowledge of Christ and we come to the understanding that it's, He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to the Father. Jesus says, you only get to Him through me. 
That he's the resurrected, that he is the life. That he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we are called as children of God to go forth in the power of God. And as I've been encouraging you all this year to be the people of God, doing the will of God for the glory of God. We must mature, we must grow, we must not make, take for granted that which Christ has done for us. And yet, though He's done it, He calls us to apply it. Listen, we're up against so many forces. So much is going on out there in the world. So much, as I've, I've said over for quite some time, there's so much clamoring around us trying to get our attention, trying to, trying to detour us, to captivate us, to lure us out of the presence of God. And that's why it's vital that we are applying truth, that we can distinguish between good and evil, that we know which path our feet are set upon, and we are steadfast, immovable, rooted in Christ, flourishing, so that ultimately the name of Christ is being made known. I don't know about you or if you've heard what's going on in the seminary in Kentucky. Asbury, I believe. Asbury. Yeah. For over 80 plus hours, they have been in revival. These students have not left the chapel. There is a great repentance taking place. God is moving among the people. I don't know if you saw the tens of thousands in Newton, in Mexico City, I believe last night, attending the Franklin Graham Crusade and seeing the masses come to, to, to Jesus. Like Jesus is moving, <laughs> awakening a people in our generation to have a greater love, to have a great to, to walk in, in the fullness of his power. Because we are up against forces that are out to destroy the souls of mankind, turning the created against the Creator and towards the created. But we as Christians have the good news. With everything that's going on, I don't know if you're paying attention to what's happening over our, our nation and over North America, that they're just blowing up and they're shooting down all these different UFOs, unidentified flying objects. They're not telling us what's going on. They shut down the airspace over Montana last night. So much is happening. Earthquakes, famine. I mean, for goodness sakes, 22,000 people in Turkey, in Syria. And yeah, that's just so far. Wiped off the face of the earth. And then they're showing these, these weird cloud formations and the sounds and the way the animals were acting before the earthquake. Mm -hmm. 
Like we are living in some crazy times. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, I kept listening to these videos after videos yesterday of what happened before the earthquake took place over there. And the sound that was to spread throughout the area, it was so haunting. The formation of what the clouds were doing and the way these animals were reacting, like you would think you were watching a Hollywood movie. But this is the reality. We're living in unshaking times, I mean, shaking times that are being shaken. The earth is being shaken. And Christians need to awake to the fact that yet though this earth will shake, if you're truly a Christian, you have been engrafted into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we should not be overwhelmed. We should not be fearful of the times. No, we should be awakened to the fact that these are the signs of the time. That Jesus is returning. Yet though the earth is shaking, yet though crazy events are taking place, yet though governments are trying to pin different parts of society against each other, the masses are being murdered, so much is going on, yet God is moving. God is moving. He's awakening people. Like I told you about these college students. They've been there 80 plus hours worshiping God. Stadiums are being filled. People are are coming together and worshiping Jesus, you all. And oh, how I pray that they they would leave marked for Christ. That they would begin to apply truth to their lives. Without application, there's no growth. And where there's no growth, there's no faith. And where there's no faith, there's no God. No matter how many times you show up for church, no matter what you do or what you say, if it's not, if you're not living a life marked of God, the reality is you're not of God. And this is the question today. Do you belong to God? God is so pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. He radically, transfer, he radically transforms our lives by changing the way we think. We're going in a total opposite direction than where we were. We're no longer bound by our flesh and our desires. No, we are bound to Christ. (laughs) Saved, sealed, and sanctified until the day (laughs) He calls us home. But until then, we are only foreigners. We're just passing through this earth. Let the earth shake. Let the clouds do whatever. Let the sounds rain down from heaven. Whatever's going on in the earth. Whatever's flying over North America that's being shot down, whatever is being prepared. I don't know about you, but they're saying in 2025, watch Brazil. Because the next plague is coming from there, and it's going to be deadly. These people are telling you what they're doing. 
This isn't, this isn't, you know, some weird conservative thing. These are actual people. These are people, these, these economic forum that just met, like these people are telling us what they're doing. And yet we're being lulled to sleep. Lulled to sleep. Rulers, evil rulers are being positioned and placed in authority. But don't, but don't, don't miss out on this. Who's placing them? God. As judgment upon this earth. And that hurts some people's mind. Well, how could God have, and I keep saying, how could he not? We are at war with the throne of God. Apart from Christ, we, that's what we are. We are at war. We are an enemy to God. And I know a lot of people say, well, I'm not that bad. No, but you are. And you can't come to true salvation without truly sensing, first and foremost, your condition. You're an enemy towards the throne of God because you, all of us are born into sin. But yet God is so gracious and kind and merciful that he reveals himself to us. How are we responding to the call of God that he's calling people to himself? Ultimately, this world stands condemned. And as I've been sharing, as I've been talking to many different people this week, like, listen, Jesus himself says, I didn't come to the world. I'm not here to, to judge the world. And then we twist that. And we say, well, see, he just came for hugs and muffins. He just loves everyone. He's this weird, limp-wristed man who has no authority and no power. No, that's not Jesus. You better hear Jesus' words. He says, I didn't come to judge the earth or judge the world because the world already stands condemned. That God's wrath is coming. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but we can certainly look up and see, like, what on earth is going on? There is such a huge spiritual awakening that's taking place on on earth. I mean, people are open for conversations. But there's an all-out war taking place in the heavenly realms. The world system in and of yourself, the flesh. But if you are in Christ, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And that's why application is so vital that you're growing, that you're maturing, that you're running the race, that you're persevering, that you're allowing endurance and perseverance to finish its work so that you, as the word of God says, will be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Like you are prepared for this generation. You're prepared for this craziness. You will purpose to live now. In the midst of all of it. God purposed you. He planned you. He formed you. And the Bible says that he prepared good works for you to do for him. So that's how we die to ourselves, that we learn to live, we learn to get up and stop going back to that 
which is an enemy of his throne. Stop going back to the old habits and to the old ways that are waging war against his throne. Because you're not going to win. You're not going to win. You will be swallowed up in his wrath. And for what? That's why I keep saying to all of us and to people that I share with, why would you choose his wrath over his love? And we specifically see what's going on and how things are being set up. Listen, the enemy, that realm in which we cannot see, this world system in our flesh, it can do whatever it desires to do. But in the end, it's done. The enemy is setting the platform, as I've been saying to y'all, for the Antichrist. See, the enemy is not one who can create. He can only distort. And he does what's opposite that God has done. And so God sent forth Jesus, the Messiah, to redeem mankind, created the enemy, sending forth the Antichrist. That's going to deceive many and damn them to hell with him. God, you all, has ordained it. It's already been marked and sealed. And no one knows the day and the hour. But it's coming. It's coming. Jesus says, follow me. (laughs) Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. This is good news. This is good news. When Jesus says, in this world, as I was sharing on Friday night, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. Like, I don't know how you're applying these truths to your life, but if you're not, you need to get discipled. So I keep saying, I don't know how you're talking to yourself. I don't know if you're just using the, God, using the Word of God to manipulate God, to try to get from God, but that's not loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your very being. And this is what you're called to, to know your God. To know your God. So application is vital. Let's go to some scriptures that we've read before, but let's look at them again. John 4, verse 23 through 24. Again, scriptures I'm holding up to hopefully encourage you to persevere in applying the truth of God's Word. So John 4, verse 23 through 24. John 4, verse 23 through 24, the Word of God reads, But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship Him must, must, (laughs) worship in spirit and in truth. Truth. You cannot live out this Christian life in your flesh. You can't. 
And as I've been, I can't get those images of these, of what's happening in Kentucky. Over 80 plus hours, these people are worshiping God. They're, they're at the altar. There's just a great repentance that's taking place. And I said, oh God, may it spread throughout our land. May it spread throughout the earth. Like God is on the move. Yet though he is strategically placing and allowing things to take place as judgment upon the earth, yet every time you see his judgments, there's always redemption. If you would just turn to me, come to me, seek me, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. To truly worship Him. To know Him. To stop making excuses. Because you're here today and gone tomorrow. Like literally, 22,000 plus people were wiped off the face of the earth in just a few seconds. That's heavy. I don't know for you, but when I sit there and I go, Oh, God. Like in a second. Gone. No more. And again, for Christians, that doesn't that that's not to drive us to fear death. No, it should awaken us to fear God and say, Oh God, Lord, you're holy. God, you're sovereign. God, even in the midst of destruction, you're still good. Because through this, what what is in what was intended for harm, God, you can receive all the glory. God, I just want to live for you. God, I just want to know you. Because you realize for eternity, that's all you're doing. You're worshiping him. Like we're with him for all eternity. Like there's no more pain. There's no more tears. There's no more suffering. Like this is good news. This is what we have to go forth and to share with others. To encourage them. To know the God who has called them out, who is pleased to reveal himself to them through his son Jesus, and that we wouldn't be a stumbling block among them, but that we would be those that they can look at and say, I want what you have. To worship God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is that one where you find that the verse, verse 1 and 2, that verse 1 is actually back in chapter 10. <laughs> but 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, scriptures that I want to hold up to you. We're already in the mid, I can't believe it, almost mid part of February. For you know we'll be at the end in December. But again, don't find yourself at, in December still where you were at the beginning of this year. God is awakening people. God is prompting people with a desire. You would never wake up one day and say, Oh, I think I should follow God or I want to know God a little deeper. That's not your own doing. That's God prompting you. And can you imagine at the end of the year, if God has been prompting you, if God has been drawing you, if God has been trying to get your attention, and all along you're just slamming the door, just stiff-arming him, saying, ah, I'll just take a little. 
And he's like, no, I don't want a little. I want all of you. Because I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. In this age, in this time, in this season. Like I keep telling you all, know the word, what the word says. Remember, the word says it's best that you have never known. Then to know and done nothing with it. You're going to have to stand before him. And what, and what excuse are we going to give him? <clears throat> when he says, my child, I have been calling you. <laughs> but you chose those to lord over you, not me. So depart from me, because I don't know you. I mean, this is what the Word of God says. And yet He calls us. And we are to respond. Because He's, listen, He's a just God. And at the end of our lives, we will obtain what we deserve. I know how I pray. Oh, how I pray all of us will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. So the next time you decide to go your way, the next time you decide to give in to your flesh, the next time you decide, uh, not that much today, God, I'll just tiptoe in. Do you understand what, who you're responding to? A holy God. Who, who awakens, who, who go, cries out the deep to deep to awaken you. Because again, none of us will ever wake up and say, oh, today I'll follow Jesus. No, that, that's not the response of the flesh. That's only one, that's a response of one who's been awakened. I love as the Bible described it, the veil has been removed. And your eyes are open. You're seeing things clearly now in your life. Oh, Lord. Life is not my own. And so we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. And you should, who? You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You gotta pair up with people, you all. You gotta start walking with people who are loving the Lord Jesus with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their body, and with all of their strength. Not just people who just do a lot of lip service that in the end amounts to nothing. I mean, from the beginning, God tells his people, listen, listen, you're doing all this praying. You're doing all of this. And I'm not even accepting it. Like, it's just lip service. There's nothing to the heart. There's no change in you. And as it was then, so it is in the New Testament. We're not fooling anyone. Just holding a form of religion and yet denying his power to transform us. And so as Paul wrote to this church, and please don't forget Corinth, the city Corinth. It was, oh my goodness, a wicked, perverse city. Temples. Where male and female prostitutes are laying on the steps for anyone to come in and have Adam. To worship these gods. Perversion was running amok. 
lawlessness. It was a hot mess. And yet it was a prospering city. And yet God loves all of them. And he sends forth Paul to go preach the gospel to a city that was at, as at war with the throne of God. And now people are becoming saved. People are calling upon Jesus. People are responding. The Holy Spirit is moving. Lives are being changed. And they have to be reminded, just as we have to be reminded, you're not your own. Listen, that's not how you live any longer. You don't go back to those steps. You don't go back to those temples. No, you're a new creation. You once were, but now you've been washed clean. Like you got a new identity. That's why I keep telling you. Listen, trust me. When the revelation and the truth really hits your life, that you're no longer bound to the shame and the guilt that you've carried. The emptiness. The loneliness. All of it. When you can just get up and walk upright amongst a wicked and perverse generation. That's not you. That's God in you. As you called upon Him. And so Paul is reminding them. And you should imitate me. Who can you say that to? If you're sitting here today and you're a Christian, you should be able to say that. Not because you're puffing yourself up and look at me, I'm super spiritual. No, do you understand the responsibility of that? You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I pass on to you. That you're applying truth. See, without application, there's no growth. There's no obedience. There's no faith. And faith without works is dead. Again, you're not working for your salvation. Your salvation is done. It's finished in Christ. But the works come from being saved. So this weird Christianity that has flooded the earth, that keeps people bound to who they were, God help us. That's why I keep trying to to pray and, and to try to encourage all of us, wake up, wake up. Don't be lulled asleep with a false Christ, with a lesser God. Just because they want to slap Jesus' name on it. Jesus himself says there's going to be many of those. But can you discern the right one? Oh, we got to wake up. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 through 4. Man, I just wept. I saw the, that scene last night from Mexico City. Franklin Graham is preaching the gospel. I just thousands of people coming down and just receiving Christ. I go, oh God, how beautiful is that? Like, do you remember when God stepped in and says, child, here I am. Come to me with all that you are and all that you will be and turn to me, lay it down, repent and receive from me now. This is the God, you all, that we're serving. Second Peter 
chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. By His divine power. Whose? His. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Oh God, this is scripture, you all. This is the word of God that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is speaking through the living word of Christ. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything. You see, so we are without excuse if we keep running amok. Trampling his blood underneath our feet, just splashing it up on each other, as if it's nothing. As if it's nothing. Making him so common, stripping him down. Mocking him. So I'm not really, no, but... But you are, if you keep claiming his name and living as one that is still an enemy of his throne. Like the word of God says, like he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself. By means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you, who? You. To share. God, don't miss out on this. To share his divine nature. God, did you hear that? And escape the world's corruption Caused by human desires. God has done this for you. Not because you deserved it. Not because you're a good person. No, but God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Like you're no longer an enemy of his throne. Like you have been reconciled through Christ. And now therefore you're at peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, through Christ Jesus, your Lord. And understand the benefits which now you reap. You've been given everything you need to live a godly life. So the next time you want to make excuses to do whatever you want, live however you want, act however you want, respond however you want, you got to remember if you're calling yourself a Christian, whom you say you belong to. Because you were bought through his blood. And you've been given a great and precious promise that enable you to share his divine nature. And don't miss out the second part of that and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. See, Galatians tell us, tells us that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But that does not give you the right to keep on acting out in your flesh. Because as you read that, that's why I don't know how, if you're reading the Bible, if you're being discipled, like truth is being exposed. What are you doing with truth? 
You know what you're doing with truth when the test comes. You see, in school, you're educated, you learn truth, you learn how the two plus two is four, you understand, they taught you, you heard it over and over and over and over. But when test day came, if all you were doing is sitting in class and heard, and there was never no application, that test wasn't easy. And a lot of times we failed it because we didn't retain it because there was so much clamoring for our attention. And so it is with the truth of God's word. We receive it and now we're to act upon it. We're to apply it so that when the tests come, we get through it. Not by pointing at ourselves, but all that pointing to Christ. Because he even tells us trials have to come. Because they they produce within us perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And that hope is in Jesus. And our hope in him, we can never be disappointed no matter what the outcome of our situation is. And you say, but who lives a life like that? That's how we're supposed to be living. But we scaled it down. We dumped it down. That is all just stay ignorant. Bless Jesus. Praise Jesus. Jesus. And we just use it. We just flippantly just do whatever. And yet we're told here that we can escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. That flesh and that spirit, they war against each other. And then it goes right in to tell us. That's what I love about the word of God. Like, then it tells us, oh, and, and just in case you're not really fully understanding, let me give you the answers. <laughs> Here's the work of the flesh, and it begins to list all the fruit of the flesh. <clears throat> and then any behavior that's like this, this is the flesh. And then he says, let me say it once again. Just you didn't get it for the, after the hundredth time that it's been said. If anyone continues to live this way. And don't forget he's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. He's not out there at the world. No, no. Paul's looking at the church. And he says, let me say as I said it again. Anyone who keeps living this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, Paul, come on. Stop burdening us, Paul. Surely God understands our weak and our frail makeup. Of course he does. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why the word of God just told you that he gives you everything you need to live a godly life. So that you will share in his divine nature and be able to withstand the world's, or to escape the world's corruption Caused by human desires. Oh, we got to be careful. Listen, us created beings, we love the created to lord over us. And do you realize what you're putting your hope in? That which is fading. I can't tell you. When your eyes are open, you're like, oh, God. And the creator speaks. You're not going to settle for the created. You're not going to long for the created to, to fulfill me. Oh God, you're enough. 
And then it goes on and then it tells us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control. And you hear the fruit? That's what's being worked within us. That's what we have to escape the corruption that's caused by human desires. But if you're going through your day and you're just existing, just another day, just another day, just another day, like you're really missing out on the fullness of what your Christian life is supposed to be. And you're going to find yourself just walking in a, in a circle, just stuck in a rut. And the flesh is going to overwhelm you. The world system is going to snatch you up. And this realm up here, you're of no threat to them because they already have you under their feet. Oh, but we better wake up. Oh, we better wake up and see whom we have been called to. The great I am. God Almighty, like know your God, serve your God, love your God, live for God. Go to 2 Peter, right where you're at, drop down to verse 10. <clears throat> verse 10 says, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard. Who? You. <laughs> To prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and listen to that, you will never fall away. So work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do we grasp that? Do you even understand what that is saying to us today? Seek him and you'll find him if you seek him with your whole heart. You can't be half-hearted. You can't be double-minded. The word of God says if you're a double-minded person, you might as well not even pray. (laughs) Because as soon as you pray, uh, you've already thought something that is contrary to the prayer in which you just prayed. You're, you're exhausting yourself, calling upon God, calling upon God, and then you turn right around dismissing Him. And somehow we're to be like, oh, that's okay, that's just, that's just the Christian life. That's not the Christian life. That's not the norm. I know that's what's being portrayed, but that's not the norm. Do these things. Do what? Apply truth. Work hard. Remember application. Sustained effort, hard work, ongoing. Listen, we're not going to be perfected until we're with him, but until then we ought to be maturing. So work hard. Work hard. Go at it with all that you have by the strength in which he has given you. Because again, you can rest assured that you didn't begin this work in you. You didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'll just all follow Jesus. No, in and of yourself, you wouldn't. So that's how you know that you know that you know that there is a God. That he will prompt you, come to me. Like you understand how holy he is. And how unholy we are. And yet he prompts us and says, come. 
that picture of Isaiah, the prophet standing there in that vision, like, oh God, I'm doomed. But don't stay there. Especially when God is prompting you. So many people, God prompts, the Holy Spirit draws, and then they stop. And they go, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm not going to do it right. I, I'm, I'm this. I'm not, I still have all these issues in my life. And do you see what we're doing? We're making it about us. And it's not about you. It's about Him. If He loves you enough to prompt you to come, come. See yourself as doomed. Yeah, that's where it starts. I'm an enemy. And yet you love me, and yet you're drawing me to yourself? Like, oh, what love is this? And then you see Christ, you see Him through His Son taking the wrath that you deserve. And it's through Christ you can be cleansed. That the shame and the guilt and all of that that has kept you from him is lifted off of you. And then you can respond as Isaiah responds, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. Because you recognize it's not of yourself. It's all of him. This is how you can worship him. This is how you praise him. This is how you're like, God... I'm the work of your hands. And your word says that you will not neglect the work of your hands. So God, I will walk through the deepest valleys. God, I will go to the mountain peaks. Because I know that I know that I'm secured in your hands. And this is the God in whom we serve. This is what we are awakened to. When he goes, hey, come this way. When the world is screaming at you, when your desires within you are freaking screaming every which way, when the enemy is breathing down your neck, there's a still small whisper. Child, come to me. Seek me. Here I am. And if we would just respond and stop responding and then stopping. Work hard. Work hard. Keep going. Keep pressing in. Keep throwing everything else off. No, remove the distractions. Get up from where you've been and say, God, I want all that you have for me and I'm not going to settle for less because my life is for you. Like, again, we have to get to a place where we look at all these distractions. We look at all this stuff within us. We look at everything. We just got, this is an enemy to your throne. This is what you hate. And I don't want to yoke myself any longer to that. Listen, if you're burdened today, you don't have the yoke of Christ around you or upon you. You're yoked by something else. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, that's a hard lesson. Oh, God, you must want me here. Listen, I've lived it. Oh, God, I'll suffer if I have to suffer. Oh, it's just so hard. Life is so... And then the clamoring of voices inside you. 
Jesus goes, do you think that's worshiping me? Like, do you think that honors me? I'll never forget. Guilty may remember. Years ago, we had this woman come into our house. Sobbing, walking around. Oh, oh. And I was like, God. And I felt the Lord speak to my heart. Tell her to stop that. Stop it. It's not honoring God. At first I wrestled with that. God, I want to tell her I'm going to offend her. Look, she looks like she's sincere. She, she's crying out. She's pouring out her heart. She's, oh, oh. And it's all flesh-based. Some of us have been, have been crying out for years. <laughs> but you've been deceived. Because you're crying out to a lesser God. Oh, there's times where, as the Bible says, we ask, we seek, we knock, we keep going at it. But it better be spirit-driven and not soulish-driven out of your flesh. A lot of us are just praying soulish prayers. And God's like, a lot of us are just acting up or putting on a show. And God's like, like it doesn't do anything for me. So we got to be mindful on how we're living. What's prompting us? Who, who are we listening to? Because Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Oh, we got to wake up, you all. To apply, to apply the truth of God's word. Because it's the truth that sets us free. True freedom. You know, like the name of our church, True Freedom Fellowship. True meaning genuine. We don't want to be fake about it. We just don't want to be super religious. No, there's a lot of hurting people out there that need to see that. Wait a minute. What has happened to you? Because it's a genuine, it's a genuine transformation. There's a consistency in your walk and in your talk. True, genuine. Freedom. No longer bound. But free. And free indeed. Oh, I don't know. That's just too big of a standard for me. You know, I'm going to fall tomorrow. I'm I'm going to give in. I I know I'm going to act ugly. I I know this is going to happen. But do you see what you're yoking yourself to? You're, You're drawing on the old habits of the flesh. And you're making that greater than the God, than God who has promised you freedom, who says your life will be transformed. If you would just follow me. We've got to stop making excuses. Like I told you a few weeks ago, when Norma called me years ago, and she's like, listen, like, don't mess with me. Like, I need to know, are you truly free? Out of the desperate, she was desperate. Like, don't put on a show for me. If it's not real, then just tell me. 
He who the Son sets free, how I've responded to her, is free indeed. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean you will be perfect. But what it does mean is that if He's begun something in you, then follow Him. Follow Him because you will mature, you will grow. And your life will become just a, a living testimony, a written epistle that brings Him glory. That He can point to you as a trophy of grace. It's all for Him, you all. It's all for Him. And so to truly apply God's Word, to say, no, this year I'm done. Like God is prompting me, and why do I keep refusing Him? God is stirring up, like, come a little bit closer. Why would I deny Him? Like, no, like, God, you are calling out in the depths of my being. And you're calling me home. You're calling me home. Why would we fight the living God to remain captive by the lesser gods? Oh, we got to wake up. We got to know our God. Here's a definition this week. The the major theological term that you should gain understanding in, here it is, sanctification. Sanctification has two parts. First, the believer is set apart to God by the purchasing work of Jesus and regeneration. Thus, the believer belongs, listen to this, solely to God and no longer to the world. Second, the believer is daily being set apart in heart and life by the work of the Spirit, making the believer holy in his practice. Sanctification, this process that he begins in us. We're starting, and we started last week, and until the Lord leads me elsewhere, we're going to start looking at attributes of God. Like, listen, you got to know your God. Because everything in this world, everything in this realm, and everything within you is trying to portray Him as being something else, as being lesser. But when you know your God, the confidence that you can have, that's why I've always said, you can't let the enemy, you can't allow the world system, and you can't allow your flesh to teach you theology. You've got to know God. He is pleased to, to reveal himself to you and to mature you and to grow you. Like you, if you truly have received Christ, you've been born again of a new nature. You've received the Holy Spirit. And now you're called to live a life that honors him, not grieves him. Like the Holy Spirit has emotions. The Bible says, do not grieve him. Do not grieve him. Like God in you. Like he sealed you. You belong to him. Live as such. Live as such. You don't turn back and just keep running them up and living however you want. No, you got to know your God. And when you know your God, the confidence that you can have. That's why I love the book of Psalms. Like these men, they knew their God. They knew who they were. They knew what their circumstances were like, but they called upon their God. Because they knew Him. 
They knew his character. And yet, though we might not fully know him until we are with him, he still reveals himself to us through his word that we can have confidence in him. So the attributes of God. It's a little summary. What are God's attributes? When we talk about the attributes of God, we are trying to answer questions like, who is God? What is God like? And what kind of God is he? An attribute of God is something true about him. While fully comprehending who God is, impossible for us as limited beings, God does make himself known in a variety of ways and through what he reveals about himself in his word and in his creation. We can begin to wrap our minds around our awesome creator, God. And it's so vital that you understand the God's attributes and who he is so that when the false gods are presented to you, you're like, oh no. Like, why would I, why would I settle for that? Like, you know you're God. You can stand in the assurance of who he is, how he acts, what he does, what he says, and the assurance that you can have, and how powerful he is, and that you won't settle. You won't settle. God is unlike anything or anyone we could ever know or imagine. He is one of a kind. Unique and without comparison. Even describing him with mere words truly fails short of capturing who he is. Our words simply cannot do justice to describe our holy God. Still, God possesses attributes that we can know. Even in just in part. And he's given us his word as a mean to understand himself. So this week, here's an attribute that I want you to pray on, I want you to think upon, I want you to apply it as you're going through your week, like you're going to learn different attributes of him weekly. Just don't hear it today and then walk out. Like know your God. So where we're starting is this, God is infinite. He is self-existing without origin. Here's some scriptures, Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is your God. Psalms 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. This is our God. The fact that God is self-existent, that he was created by nothing and has always existed forever is perhaps one of the hardest attributes of God. For the believer to understand and our limitless, grasping the nature of our limitless God is like holding onto water as it's raging down a river. Indeed, Tozer writes this about the confusing, head-spinning attribute of God's infinity. This is what Tozer wrote. To admit that there is one God who lies beyond us, who exists outside of our categories, who will not be dismissed with a name, who will not appear before the bar of our reason, not sub- or nor submit to our curious inquiries, 
This requires a great deal of humility, more than most of us possess. So we save face by thinking God down to our level, or at least down to where he can can be managed. Listen, God is infinite, self-existing. In his article on Christianity.com, Dr. Adrian Roger writes about the self-existence of God. The name Jehovah is used more than 6,800 times in the Bible. It is the personal covenant name of Israel's God. and the King James Version of the Bible, it's translated Lord God. Not only does it speak of God's strength, but it also speaks of the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. The root of this name means self-existing, one who never came into being and one who always will be. When Moses asked God, who shall I tell Pharaoh has sent me? God said, I am that I am. Jehovah or Yahweh is the most intensely sacred name to Jewish scribes and many will not even pronounce the name. When possible, they use another name. This is God's role. This is, a, this is an attribute of God. That you should know your God. And how does that speak to your heart? Like go throughout this week. Ask questions. Seek Him. Know Him. So that then in return you can live Him out before others. And that when they approach you, you can share with them about God in a way like you've never done before because you would be intimately acquainted with the one whom you say you belong to. The Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 44, we're on the 10th commandment. Here are some questions. Again, I give you this tool in hopes to sharpen your faith so that you can be out there and you're able to defend the faith, that you're able to articulate and speak concerning your faith when people ask you questions. So what is the aim of the 10th commandment? Here's the answer. That not even the slightest desire or thought contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. Rather, with all of our hearts, we should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. The next question. What can those converted to God, I'm sorry, but can those converted to God obey these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. And then the last question, since no one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God want them preached so pointedly? Here's the answer. First, so that, lo- so that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. And second, so that we may never stop striving and never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life when we reach our goal, perfection. And the scriptures are there. And again, I don't know what you're doing when you get the note. 
But oh, how I pray you're taking them and you're sitting down and you're opening the word of God and you're asking the Holy Spirit whom you've been given. Jesus says, I have to go away so that he will come. He is your counselor. He is your teacher. He is your guide. This is who we have. The Holy Spirit. If you're truly born again, if you're not, then I don't know what's keeping you from coming. Well, I do know. But I don't know why you would allow that to rule over you still. God is prompting you. God is prompting us to come near to Him. To be known by Him. And to know Him. And to love Him. The greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. See, Christianity is just not a cakewalk. It's not a kumbaya, look, we're all marching into heaven. No, no, no. It's a walk of faith. And it's a trying walk. Because we're behind enemy lines. We are behind enemy lines in everything of this earth. It's world system, this realm, and the very flesh within us, that nature that we were born into, is at war with God. But I love that God, even in, even in his holy scripture, gives us a great understanding. He tells us, like, the created things out there, they're longing to be redeemed. Like, the other stuff that's out there, like, it's longing. That's why Jesus says, if they stop praising me, the rocks will start praising me. Yes. Like, this is the God in whom we say we're <laughs> gathering for today. To worship, to know Him, to be known by Him, to go forth and to make others aware of who He is. This is who we are, because this is who He is. He's God, and oh, how I pray that you love Him. Oh, how I pray that you've responded. And oh, how I pray that you keep going, because those who endure to the end will be saved. Go to first. Chronicles, chapter 7, walking through Scripture, picking up on the book of Chronicles, chapter 7 through chapter 8. And again, I'm going to have it played on a speaker because I'm not going to butcher all those names. But again, don't forget this book, how vital it is, how it can speak to your heart. Yet though there's so many genealogies and all these things are listed, don't get trapped in that. See behind it. Like, God, you desired this to be in your word. And the importance of understanding why it was written. Remember, it was written for the people who were being returned. They just are leaving captivity, and they're being brought back into this land that is ultimately destroyed. Their very identity of a people they can't relate with because there's no palace and there's no temple. And yet they're being reminded of who they are. And how to rebuild and how to honor God with the way they're living. So let me get this going. Descendants of Issachar. The four sons of Issachar were Tola, Pua, Jashub, and Shimron. 
The sons of Tola were Uzai, Rephaiah, Jeriel, Jemei, Ibsam, and Shemuel. Each of them was the leader of an ancestral clan. At the time of King David, the total number of mighty warriors listed in the records of these clans was 22,600. The son of Uzziah was Israiah. The sons of Israiah were Michael, Obadiah, Joel, and Ishiah. These five became the leaders of clans. All of them had many wives and many sons. So the total number of men available for military service among their descendants was 36,000. The total number of mighty warriors from all the clans of the tribe of Issachar was 87,000. All of them were listed in their genealogical records. Descendants of Benjamin. Three of Benjamin's sons were Bela, Beker, and Jediael. The five sons of Bela were Esben, Azai, Uziel, Jeremoth, and Uri. Each of them was the leader of an ancestral clan. The total number of mighty warriors from these clans was 22,034, as listed in their genealogical records. The sons of Beaker were Zemira, Joash, Eleazar, Eleohenai, Amri, Jeremoth, Abijah, Anathoth, and Alameth. Each of them was the leader of an ancestral clan. The total number of mighty warriors and leaders from these clans was 20,200, as listed in their genealogical records. The son of Jediel was Bilhan. The sons of Bilhan were Jeush, Benjamin, Ehud, Kenanah, Zethan, Tarshish, and Ahashahar. Each of them was the leader of an ancestral clan. From these clans, the total number of mighty warriors ready for war was 17,200. The sons of Ur were Shepham and Huppam. Hushim was the son of Ahur. Descendants of Naphtali. The sons of Naphtali were Jezeel, Gunai, Jezer, and Shilam. They were all descendants of Jacob's concubine, Bilhah. Descendants of Manasseh. The descendants of Manasseh through his Aramean concubine included Azrael. She also bore Maker, the father of Gilead. Maker found wives for Huppam and Shapam. Maker had a sister named Meekah. One of his descendants was Zelophehad, who had only daughters. Maker's wife, Maeka, gave birth to a son whom she named Pirish. His brother's name was Shirish. The sons of Pirish were Ulam and Rechum. The son of Ulam was Bedan. All these were considered Gileadites, descendants of Maker, son of Manasseh. Maker's sister, Amoleketh, gave birth to Ishad, Abaezer, and Malah. The sons of Shemaida were Ahayan, Shechem, Lichai, and Anayim. Descendants of Ephraim. The descendants of Ephraim were Shuthalah, Berid, Tehath, Eladah, Tehath, Zabad, Shuthalah, Ezer, and Elid. These two were killed trying to steal livestock from the local farmers near Gath. Their father Ephraim mourned for them a long time, and his relatives came to comfort him. Afterward, Ephraim slept with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Ephraim named him Beriah because of the tragedy his family had suffered. He had a daughter named Shira. She built the towns of Lower and Upper Beth Horon and Uzan Shira. The descendants of Ephraim included Repha, Reshef, Tila, Tehan, Laden, Amihud, Elishama, Nun, and Joshua. The descendants of Ephraim lived in the territory that included Bethel and its surrounding towns to the south, Naaran to the east, Gezer and its villages to the west, and Shechem and its surrounding villages to the north as far as in its towns. Along the border of Manasseh were the towns of Beth Shan, 
Teanach, Megiddo, Dor, and their surrounding villages. The descendants of Joseph, son of Israel, lived in these towns. Descendants of Asher. The sons of Asher were Imna, Ishva, Ishvai, and Beriah. They had a sister named Sarah. The sons of Beriah were Heber and Malchiel, the father of Berzaith. The sons of Heber were Japhlet, Shomer, and Hotham. They had a sister named Shua. The sons of Japhlet were Peshach, Bimhal, and Ashbath. The sons of Shomer were Ahai, Roga, Haba, and Aram. The sons of his brother Helam were Zophah, Imna, Shelish, and Amal. The sons of Zophah were Shua, Harnefer, Shul, Berai, Imra, Bezer, Had, Shama, Shilsha, Ithran, and Beira. The sons of Jether were Jephunneh, Pizpah, and Ara. The sons of Ula were Ara, Haniel, and Rizia. Each of these descendants of Asher was the head of an ancestral clan. They were all select men, mighty warriors, and outstanding leaders. The total number of men available for military service was 26,000, as listed in their genealogical records. Chapter 8. Descendants of Benjamin Benjamin's first son was Bela, the second was Ashbel, the third was Ahara, the fourth was Noah, and the fifth was Rapha. The sons of Bela were Adar, Gera, Abihud, Abashua, Naaman, Ahoa, Gera, Shafufan, and Hurum. The sons of Ehud, leaders of the clans living at Geba, were exiled to Manahath. Ehud's sons were Naaman, Ahijah, and Gera. Gera, who led them into exile, was the father of Uzzah and Ahihud. After Shehareim divorced his wives Hushim and Bera, he had children in the land of Moab. Hodesh, his new wife, gave birth to Jobab, Zibiah, Misha, Malcolm, Jeuz, Sekiah, and Mirmah. These sons all became the leaders of clans. Shearam's wife Husham had already given birth to Abitub and Elpale. The sons of Elpale were Eber, Misham, Shemid, who built the towns of Ono and Lod and their nearby villages, Bariah and Shema. They were the leaders of the clans living in Ajalon, and they drove out the inhabitants of Gath. Ahio, Sheshach, Jeremoth, Zebediah, Arid, Eder, Michael, Ishpah, and Joha were the sons of Beriah. Zebediah, Meshulam, Hizkai, Heber, Ishmirai, Isliah, and Jobab were the sons of Elpeel. Jacob, Zikri, Zabdi, Elianai, Zilathai, Eliel, Adiah, Beraiah, and Shimrath were the sons of Shimei. Ishpan, Eber, Eliel, Abdon, Zikri, Hanan, Hananiah, Elam, Anthathijah, Iftaiah, and Penuel were the sons of Sheshach. Shamshari, Shehariah, Athaliah, Jerashiah, Elijah, and Zikri were the sons of Jeroham. These were the leaders of the ancestral clans. They were listed in their genealogical records, and they all lived in Jerusalem. Hmm. The family of Saul. Jeiel, the father of Gibeon, lived in the town of Gibeon. His wife's name was Maacah, and his oldest son was named Abdon. Jeiel's other sons were Zur, Kish, Baal, Ner, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth, who was the father of Shimeon. All these families lived near each other in Jerusalem. Ner was the father of Kish. Kish was the father of Saul. Saul was the father of Jonathan, Melchishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. Jonathan was the father of Mirab Baal. Mirab Baal was the father of Micah. Micah was the father of Pithon, Melech, Teriah, 
and Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Jada. Jada was the father of Elameth, Asmaveth, and Zimri. Zimri was the father of Moza. Moza was the father of Binia. Binia was the father of Rephaiah. Rephaiah was the father of Eliasa. Eliasa was the father of Azel. Azel had six sons, Ezrakim, Bakru, Ishmael, Sheraiah, Obadiah, and Hanan. These were the sons of Azel. Azel's brother, Eshek, had three sons. The first was Ulam, the second was Jeush, and the third was Eliphalet. Ulam's sons were all mighty warriors and expert archers. They had many sons and grandsons, 150 in all. All these were descendants of Benjamin. All right. So what can we take from the reading today from First Chronicles? Well, here's a great commentary. I was really inspired when I was reading it um, from Pastor Tony Evans. He says, Asher's sons had four outstanding qualities. They were the heads of their ancestral families, chosen men, valiant warriors, and chiefs among the leaders. A summary of these qualities reveals traits that seem to be in short supply today. First, Asher's sons were heads of their families. That suggests that Asher raised his sons to be leaders. They weren't just hanging around the house, eating and taking up space. Second, they were chosen men. That phrase suggests Asher raised his boys to be the cream of the crop. They were the kind of men a father would choose for his daughter to marry. Men of high character and strong ethical standards who accepted responsibility. Third, they were valiant warriors. That is, they were men of valor, like these who fought alongside David in his many battles. These guys had a sense of conviction and were ready to take a stand when a stand needed to be taken. Fourth, Asher's sons are described as chiefs among the leaders. Another word for leader is prince. And a prince is just a king waiting to happen. So Asher's sons were outstanding even among the literal princes of Israel. Our country and church need godly committed men to take up the reins of leadership. And oh, how we need to be praying for that in our generation. Especially when there's such an attack on on men. And on raising young men. And so we definitely need to pray for young men, for men in our generation to take the stand... And be groomed for leadership. So it doesn't matter what our background is. Or what we didn't have. No, no, no. If God is for us and God is calling men up in this generation. Then we need to look to our Heavenly Father to equip us to be men. And women should want godly men to lead them. This is how God has ordained it. And you see the world is out to destroy the family structure. And so definitely as Christians, we need to pray. These people were being reminded, as they, again, they were being brought back in to their land as God's people of their rich history. Of their rich history of the people that went before them. 
and oh how we should be doing the same for our the next generation reminding them of how God has moved among us and in us and through us to encourage them to know their God. Go to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27. I believe we're almost done with the book of Acts. But Acts chapter 27 is where we're heading. And we're just going to read through verse 20 today. Paul, we left off before where Paul gave his final address to the court. So when the time came, chapter 27, verse 1, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Archistochus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was Adarantium, on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. The next day, when we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course, so we sailed north of Cyprus, between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Sicilia and Phaphilia, landing at Myra in the providence of Lycia. There the commanding officers found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria, that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. We had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Critias. But the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island, past the Cape of Salmon. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor for only a southbound, so sorry, with only a southwest and northwest exposure. When a light of, when a when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed across the shore to Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of the small island named Kuda. But were, were with great difficulty, we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. 
They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Sychius off the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as the gale-forced winds continued to batter the, battered the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Yet again, Paul is enduring. Paul gave wisdom, but wisdom was not received. And now they have to endure the storm that they're in. But here's God's sovereignty. Paul has to get to Rome. So it doesn't matter what the elements are doing. It doesn't matter whether the men are listening or not. Paul's purpose is to get to Rome. And God will see him through. Go to Psalm 7. And as he will see Paul through, he will see you through. Again, the sovereignty of God. God is in complete control. Psalm 7. Oh, how I pray that this psalm would encourage you to look up as a psalm of David, which he sung before the Lord. I come to you for protection, O Lord, my God. Save me from my persecutors. Rescue me. If you don't, they will maul me like a lion, tearing me to pieces with no one to rescue me. O Lord, my God, if I have done wrong, or am I guilty or guilty of injustice? If I have betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without cause, then let my enemies capture me. Let them trample me to the ground and drag my honor in dust. Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. Gather the nations before you. Rule over them from on high. The Lord judges the nations. Declare me righteous, O Lord, for I am innocent, O Most High. In the end, I'm sorry, in the evil of those who are wicked and defend the righteous. For you look deep within the mind and heart, O righteous God. God is my shield, saving those whose hearts are true and right. God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. If a person does not repent, God's will, oh, God will sharpen his sword and he will bend a string in his bow. He will prepare his deadly weapons and shoot his flaming arrows. The wicked conceive evil. They are pregnant with trouble and give birth to lies. They dig a deep pit to trap others, then fall into it themselves. The trouble they make for others backfires on them. The violence they plan falls on their own heads. I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praises to the name of the Lord Most High. He knew his God. We can know our God. And this generation that's getting more wicked and wicked by the day, when wicked people are telling people what they're going to do to the earth, it's all going to backfire on them. Everything that they're plotting, everything that they're scheming, everything that they're planning, it's all going to backfire 
As Christians, we have hope. We serve the living God who is upon His throne and we're no longer an enemy of His. No, no, no. We've been engrafted into His kingdom. He's left us in this world to do His will for His glory. And ultimately, He's protecting us by the name He was given, the name of Jesus. Oh, have confidence in Jesus today, you all, in the days to come. Go to Proverbs 18, verse 22. One nugget of wisdom. Proverbs 18, verse 22. The man who finds a wife finds treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. There is a way in which we are called to live, you all, and it's for the glory of God. Let me close us out with this last song of worship, and then I'll close us in prayer. Surrender. 